Hey, Scott, Real Water hey. Sports just landed 30 new Pat Ross and surfboards. Rad. That's got to make everybody froth. I'm frothing just thinking about it. Thanks. I have a feeling that deal may have been sorted at the boardroom show. I don't know. Maybe it was in action before the boardroom show. Yeah. Pat and Trip have been doing business for years and years and years. So it doesn't surprise me that you've got two of the greatest real water sports and Trip Foreman with Pat Rawson <clears throat> teaming up to bring you incredible surfboards uh, 30... on the East Coast and around the world via realwatersports.com. Yeah, 30 new Rossins, all shaped and built in Hawaii, um, available through realwatersports.com. I think they actually had some in stock already, so they have like 70-something Rossins. Uh, that's just part of their 1,500-board inventory. All of it is available to all of our listeners uh, because you can order it online, and it is guaranteed to show up at your door blemish-free, and they ship worldwide. So realwatersports.com. Of course, they are doing that Cyber Surfboard Monday for the Monday after Thanksgiving, Cyber Monday, where you get $100 off uh, any surfboard purchase, whether it's a custom or a stock board. But if you find one of those Rossins today, it might not be there on Cyber Surfboard Monday. So you're going to have to manage that on your own. Save 100 bucks on Cyber Surfboard Monday or get it while you can. Hmm. Very cool. I'm psyched on Cyber Surfboard Monday. Hell yeah. Um, they also right, I was you... reading something else. It seems like I was engaged. I was engaged in this other thing over here. So I apologize. Well, Good read, though. Good thank read. You. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and if you need fins for a surfboard, Real actually also carries NVS fins, who we've been working with for over a year now. Yeah. And you can buy NVS fins on their website, surfnvs.com, of course, but they're also available through retail. And we always try to support retailers. So Real Water Sports in North Carolina, Bird Surf Shed in San Diego, Used Surf in San Clemente, who also has a demo program that I think is pretty epic. And then throughout the world, um, Clinica in Israel, Board Shop in England, Surf D in Norway. You can, of course, find links to all the retailers on surfnbs.com. As we see some movement at the takeoff zone, it's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry, this thing holding open, it spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit, spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got it. Yeah, man. Welcome. Yeah, God. Yeah, friggin' God. It's time to say it. Somebody needs to say it. It needs to be said. Yeah, God. And there can uh, only be one person that says it, Scott. I would <laughs> never, I would never try to get in on that. The funny thing is, as you know, when, when I was in high school 30 years ago, everybody said that. That was why we use this lead-in phrase is that it's kind of tongue-in-cheek it's kind of like yeah guy what's up bro <laughs> yeah yeah guy you know you know we should do this could be a really good like investigative podcast series six-part yeah. series where we yeah. trace the origins of yeah guy <laughs> i would like to do that i'm pretty sure the originator is todd martin oh really you've that's, already got it figured out of, wow it's more of an encinitas seaside reef kind of like you know that whole scene there that's kind of where i think 
the yeah guys started, but I could be wrong, you know. Um, but yeah, yeah guy was kind of an Encinitas. I want to say it was kind of a Todd Martin, 1980, 1981, that kind of thing. We we got a track. Okay, so maybe it's not six parter. Maybe it's a one parter, yeah. and it only lasts <laughs> fifteen minutes. Yeah, because you already know where he is. Yeah, but but I guess the the uh, big reveal will be finding out how and why he landed on that phrase. I'm guessing he saw a guy <laughs> that he <Yeah>. knew. <laughs> okay. This is a good <laughs> hypothesis. <laughs> and he wanted to share some sort of Optimist. affirmation, optimistic yes. affirmation with the guy who he saw. And so out of his mouth, from the mouths of babes came the <laughs> phrase. Yeah. guy." I'm going to assume that it was probably, you know, he didn't know the person's name. And so you needed some sort of filler for the moment. So you're like, yeah, yeah, guy. Yeah. What's up, guy? It's kind of like, yeah, See, you know, guy is like, you know, it's, it covers a lot of bases. It, it doesn't in 2021, Scott. No, it doesn't. So it, doesn't. it, it needs to be amended. <laughs> no, no, he yeah, cannot guy. amend it. Yeah, guy will never be amended. It is what yeah, it is. Yeah, they. It's Todd Martin. It's Lonnie Brothers. It's. It's that whole crew of guys that were like a generate, you know, a couple of years older than me that, um, and it was all, yeah, there's not going to be, yeah, they, it's going to be, yeah, God, yeah, freaking guy. What's up guy. <laughs> yeah, guy. Did you see that little, oh, you know, Steve Colvin comes to mind. <laughs> I just remember Colby. She said there was a little sandbar of Colby. Actually what they call Palisades or what we used to call Palisades was also known as Colby land. For Steve Colvin, but this is way too, uh, you know, way too down a rabbit hole for the listeners. They don't need to hear it. Well, well, I will, once you get canceled for saying, yeah, guy, yeah, um, I will be doing a monologue version of this show and I will use, yeah, they slash them. That'll be the appropriate. <laughs> Might make, there's opportunity for a t-shirt here. There's no doubt. Um, well, headstock. How was headstock last week? Well, you know how when you go to a surfboard show, you come on with surfboards. Mm -hmm. So I went and produced headstock guitar lovers festival. And I came home with this killer new telecaster, a barn caster. What in the world? It's barn, made out of a barn? Barn caster, barn wood. It's There's made out of a barn. There's a lot of reclamation going on in the guitar world. Who made that thing? Uh, a world-renowned, world-class guitar builder. With It's got mm. insane electronics in it. It's got DiMarzio cream, cream humbuckers. Um, his name's Fred. World-famous Fred from the Repair Zone in San Diego. He's, uh, he's basically the guy that just... Like when people come on tour and they need their guitar and their guitar tech can't figure it out, they go to Fred and Fred dials it in. He's... He's done guitar tech, guitar work for some of the greatest guitarists in the world. Name three. Um, John Mayer, um, Eddie Vedder. Um, that's the only two I can think off the top of my head. Fancy, fancy yeah. list of clientele, man. Jesus. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that's and, a cool. Yeah. So we had our own seltzer made. This How is a bubble water, citrus seltzer, headstock. Um, we had beers at the thing, headstock, 
uh, Golden Ale. And the beer company, Helia, Helia Brewery, Helia Brewery, my friend Kelby out of Lacadia. And he said, hey, man, we can not only make beer, we can make you bubble water. And I was like, heck, yeah, that'd be great because I don't drink. So he made me some citrus seltzer. It's um, whoever did the graphic design for your guys' stuff oh. looks awesome. Yeah, the graphic was done by my buddy Mike Nelson in Solana Beach. And sadly, I can't remember the name of his company, but he does a bunch of really cool stuff. It's awesome. He's very talented. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool, dude. So how did the show go? It was great, man. It was such a raging success. I'm excited that um, it means that there will be a year two of headstock. Some of the performances were mental. Are you a a music fan? Sure you are. Of course you are. Yeah. Your dad played music. Yeah, that's I mentioned that in the past. He actually uh, built doesn't build guitars. Um, he's built a few guitars, let's say, over the years. I don't think he's done one in a few years, but he's in a band. He's in kind of the premier cover band out in the Palm Springs area. They've, they're gigging. <laughs> they're gigging all the time. That's so great. He's got a, He's got an incredible pickleball song, as I recall. They have the pickleball song actually if you go on spotify you can listen to it um but yeah they i mean so he's always played guitar my entire life he tried to teach me how to play guitar when i was young he was in a band before i was born that almost you know was on the verge of breaking big but um took a real job at some point worked for 20 or 30 or 40 years and in retirement he's formed a band out in their retirement community and they've become really popular in recent years so they um now post COVID or not post COVID, but now that everything's opening up again, they've got gigs lined up all the time and they're playing all the time. You know what? Your dad would love headstock. We had totally performances would. by surfers, surfers playing music. So Peter Sprague is a world renowned uh, jazz guitarist. He teamed up with Andy Powers, who's the head luthier at Taylor Guitars, the customer. Wow. And Andy is an incredible surfer himself. He's had full, um, full profiles done on him in the surfers journal. And um, he's an incredible builder and, and musician and um, surfer. So Peter and Andy, they play jazz. They're like high end jazz. Like it's insane. Like it's such high quality professional next level friggin' musicianship, you know, compositions through the roof, you know, like he can take like, you know, Mary had a little lamb and just turn it into this insane miles davis groove or west montgomery groove or whatever but uh but anyway so those guys played and then there's this other band that i swear i think is going to be something big really and and the guy's a surfer from ob he played at the boardroom show okay his, his name is cody sherman his band is called band of gringos it's a power trio and cody sherman is so talented so is the bass player and the drummer Cody Sherman is like next level talent and he's got an incredible voice. So he's kind of got it all. He's kind of got a Kenny Wayne Shepherd vibe, but, but he's got an incredible voice. Mm. Kind of got like the guitar chops of a young Stevie Ray Vaughan with, um, with Kenny Wayne Shepherd, but he's got an, a really, really, really great voice. So uh, anyway, he played as well. And then Dusty Bruff, who's this, um, world-class uh, classical nylon string guitarist who's also a surfer. These guys are all surfers. Crazy. So, um, it was cool. Anyway, I don't want to bore the surf listeners with my stuff, but that's what we did this weekend. We had the big guitar festival. It was really cool. Um, so what do you, 
let's explain to listeners, what do you do uh, for a living? You're holding, you're hosting events and trade shows throughout the year. We know of the boardroom show. We know of Headstock. Are those the only two? This is obviously the first year of Headstock. How's your year filled? I I don't know what I do. I just kind of wing it, you know, like um, it's not like I have some master plan that I'm going to conquer. I just, me and my buddy are like, we went to NAM, which is the big music show in Anaheim. It's a business to business trade show. The public's not invited, you know, and to get into NAM is kind of a cool thing. You got to have a pass or whatever and get invited. So we went to NAM like three or four years ago and we were like, shoot, man, it was really cool, but it was overwhelming. You know, it's like cacophony of, of sound. And um, it's almost just too much. You leave there just exhausted and, and we thought, you know what, let's do a cool little show that's more intimate, that's more curated, that's more vetted, that's, that we have control over, that's, that's really groovy. And that's the, the builders, the custom builders of these instruments, you know, um, these what they call luthiers. And we just went, you know, let's just try it. Let's just see what happens. You know, let's just roll the dice. You never know, you know. And look, it wasn't um, a moneymaker. We lost money on it. But you got to seed the show somehow. You got to try, you know, you you. You don't know if you have a business unless you try. And um, and we're pretty excited about the germination for this first year. And, and we think that the show is going to take off because everybody was ecstatic about the show and um, only positive stuff from both the industry and from the, the end user consumer that walked the show. Everybody really had a good time. So it, is there a way to make it profitable? Like, yeah. I, it feels oh yeah, like, no, there is, there is. Well, it feels though that, like you're saying, the success of it is the fact that it is all local builders, local musicians, and it'd be easy just to grow as fast as possible and get to that cacophony that you're talking about that's just overgrown. So is there a way to keep it small and profitable? Well, there's a fine line, right? A, a, a guy who I used to work for in the exposition business once said that core is poor, you know? Right, right, right. And, um, and so there's a fine line the way to make it profitable is to have a a large company acknowledge that this is a really cool thing and step up and be a sponsor. And at that point, their company is sort of gets, um, gets all the, you know, gets all the grooviness of a really unique artistic, you know, event and all the mojo that flows off of that, that flows onto their brand. And so it's a win for everybody. And so we'll, we'll see, we don't know. We don't know if we're going to be able to get sponsorship or not without sponsorship, there will be no money to be made. It'll just be, you know, you know, my partner and I throwing money at a huge party. (laughs) basically. (laughs) That gets old quick. Oh yeah. So back to your business though, how many boardroom shows are you doing a year? What's the goal? Well, we're doing one right now. Before COVID, we were doing two. We did one in Japan and excuse me, one here in Del Mar. And, uh, and then of course I do a couple of vintage California gold vintage surf auctions as well. So I have two auctions a year. I have the boardroom, maybe the boardroom in Japan. I, I was thinking about Portugal. I'd like to do the boardroom in Portugal. I think that'd be a good call. And then, of course, Headstock Guitar Lovers Festival. So I'm constantly doing something. And uh, so Japan good. is a potential. Yeah, well, we can do Japan again for sure. Okay, good. Uh, I feel like, certainly from talking to listeners, you could do it in on the East Coast, Europe, 
uh, maybe the UK, even Japan and potentially Hawaii. I feel like they would all support it every single year. It's a ton, ton of work and whether or not you could, you know, organize that from afar or whatever would be kind of your thing to sort out. But I feel like the consumer demand is there in those locations, you know? Yeah. The thing is, is that with the boardroom show, the industry itself, like, you know, the surfboard builders, the fin makers, um, those guys that support the boardroom show, they can only do one show a year. It's only makes sense for them to do one show a year. Because on top of that, a lot of them do Surf Expo in Orlando, my friend Roy's show in Orlando, which is an important show for the Eastern Seaboard. Um, And so a lot of those guys do that show. And so then, you know, you can only do one show a year is enough for the industry. Now, does does the end consumer, would they support a show in, say, New Jersey? Yeah, I think they would. But again, it's like convincing the the builders, the, you know, the industry to, to buy another right. booth for another show. It just gets exhausting. Totally. You got to do business. You can only have one show a year. Right. I get and it. That shows in Southern California. That's a conundrum. Well, Hey, uh, get that merch available on your website. We'll start buying seltzer water from you. <laughs> Headstock seltzer water. You know, it's a kind of a scam. Merch uh, like merch is not easy to deal with. Like merch is like a pain in the ass. When you actually look at the margin, how much you make, especially with t-shirts you got the wrong go, sizes go look at my you know, garage right now four or five boxes sitting behind you i'm sure you do you know what i'm saying like so well, merch it's kind of like it's just it more totally of a marketing is. adventure than anything else totally it's a nightmare but uh beverage merch seems to be a lot of people making a killing killing in that in recent years a lot of uh pro surfers investments have I paid saw that dividends all those guys it's like if you're not involved in a brewery it's almost like the cliche thing it's like in the 90s if you're a pro surfer you had a guitar yeah and now in the 2020s if you're not involved in some sort of tequila or beer company you're blowing it well saint archer already count many have already um you know waved in their their profits and their lives oh yeah yeah i mean St. Archer was the biggest, the first and the biggest story. A number of surfers and skaters got behind that. And I feel like the investment wasn't, I don't, I don't want to misspeak, but I feel like it was 50,000 bucks buy-in and maybe somebody bought two or three, you know, buy-ins and they ended up selling uh, that. I don't know what the total investment was up front, but they ended up selling to Anheuser-Busch and everybody made a significant multiple off that $50,000 investment and did really well and then parlayed it into other investments, um, other alcohol industry investments. I feel like beer though now has run its course. Like that was the investment, like you said, five and 10 years ago. So we got to figure out what's next. Coconut water, maybe. (laughs) Who knows? That's a good idea though. Trying to figure it out. Yeah. Um, Well, hey, I'm not sure what you have in your notes. My lead story this week is the um, foil retribution under the San Francisco <laughs> beer. Did you see this? I did see this. That's so funny that that's your lead. What about massive jaws and the body surfer that made, God, he got a couple of insane waves of jaws. But yeah, Start. that's the funniest story for sure. Let's lead with that. That's great. Tell me, what, what did you learn? 
so I'll just paint the picture real quick. Um, I shouldn't have named the spot, I suppose. Uh, at, at an undisclosed location in Northern California, um, at a pretty marginal wave that would seem to be having a really good day, actually, a foil border got towed in to a wave from a just a regular like a uh, boat. What kind of a boat do you call that? Is that just like a it's like a water ski boat kind of, right? Where did you see it? Where did you see this story? Um, well, Gothic Dolphins Instagram account is where I watched the video. Uh-huh. Gothic underscore dolphins. Okay. Um, anyways, a boat, just like a recreational power boat kind of thing. Yeah. Um, literally toes out, which I don't, I never even see that type of a boat towing people into a surf lineup. That was the first most confusing part is that a boat is entering the surf lineup. This is a highly uh, localized spot, notoriously localized spot where it doesn't matter what type of surfboard or craft you're on, you're liable to get, um, yelled at and even attacked and accosted by the locals there. This guy shows up with a boat on a foil tethering (laughs) on a foil behind the boat and the boat tows him into a set wave. And you watch the foil border who looks very tentative. He does not look like he knows what he's doing at all. He's super shaky. This is not Kyle Lenny making a vlog. <laughs> this is just a rando, but he does have a helmet and a GoPro on his helmet, That's which adds to the kookiness. That's what it's I just, It's like, dude, you're going to get slapped no matter what, just for showing up looking like that. Forget the fact that you brought a boat and forget the fact that you brought a foil. Anyways, cut to the very next scene is his foil on the beach and locals slamming rocks on top of it to break his uh, <laughs> surfboard and foil. So um, the story there is like, wow, these locals were so angry that they attacked this guy's super expensive recreational surf equipment. What's your take on this, Scott? Is it ever justified to damage somebody's property? I mean, you know, my take on it is this, that that guy's an idiot. Like, you just have no common sense if you're going to get a boat to tow you in on anything with what appeared to be a pretty crowded situation. There was 15 to 12 to 20 people in the water. You're looking at two to four waves a set. They're all probably pretty, you know, that's a localized spot, I guess. Fort Point, There's no need to hide it. If the video's out there. It's underneath the Golden Gate Bridge, for God's sakes. It's not like it's off the beaten path. Um my take on it is the guy's an idiot. Now, would I personally be throwing boulders at the guy? No, I've got way better things to do with my life. And I don't need the drama. And hopefully my ego is not going to take me to a place where I'm throwing boulders at anything. Um, so, you know, does the guy's an idiot. And I think, you know, what happened to his board is probably probably makes sense you know what i'm saying it makes sense i'm not saying is, i condone it i'm just saying it <laughs> makes a lot of sense <laughs> is it ever justifiable to damage somebody else's property in such a fashion no, no it's no it's silly because because what you really need to do is you need to look at you need to excavate why you're doing what you're doing you know are you trying to tell him not to ever do it again well why not just talk to him Okay. Okay. Um, 
so you don't want to be the guy throwing the boulders as you stated, right. but are you happy that those guys threw the boulders? Is there any part of you that gets a little twinge of like, thank goodness that happened? No, I actually kind of looked at it like that's pretty stupid. That's really? kind of a stupid move. There's people videoing him, even if there's no one videoing, you know, like there's no consequences for your boulder throwing. It's kind of third grade. Like it's kind of like, like the guy's, the guy's board got washed in. You know, I think at that point, the thing to do is to just talk to him, you know, and just go, you know, what are you thinking? Like, why do you think this is a good idea? Like, what part of this was a good idea? And then, of course, you never know. You could get the guy that's like, hey, screw you, man. I get to surf your, you know, like you could get like the full idiot response. And then the boulder um, comes out. And then the boulders are okay. No, no, no. The boulders are. I just, you know, I'm not going to be the guy that throws the boulders. But like I said, there's, you know, it's kind of like if you run across the freeway, you're probably going to get run over by a car. And it's probably the thing that makes sense. That makes sense. Like you're going to get hit by a car. That makes sense to me. You know, like the odds are in your favor that you're going to get smoked. But this <laughs> so would be somebody steering their car into the runner. I'm just saying. Just to ensure just that a, everything happens. It's just a bad idea. You know, like I, who's to say I drove my car into the guy? He was in my lane. I was just doing the safe thing and staying in my lane. So I don't know, David. I, I agree with everything that you're saying, but I do think like I don't want to be the boulder thrower either, but I'm glad that this happened. And there's I and I can't justify it. You can create uh, metaphors that'll make me look hypocritical because something else I would not justify. It's hard to even say when it's justifiable to smash somebody else's public property or not public, but private property, personal property. Um, but it had to happen. This guy, ha it had to happen. Like if we're going to be living. And so here's what I can't justify. If we're going to be living in a civilized society together, there needs yeah. to be codes of conduct and rules. Right. Rule and this law. guy, this guy just is living in a time where he knows that he could sue. He's living in a time where he knows he's going to be protected by all these buffers around him. So he's just going to go out and he's going to run amok. He's taking advantage of the civilized society. So now what I'm, what I'm justifying is an even more aggressive act of retribution to set the civil uh, to set everything civil again, which is hard to justify. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's hard to be like, oh, you stepped out. So now we're going to step out extra hard to check you. But I love the fact that that happens in surfing. I love that surfing is a place where that can still happen. Where if we don't have all the rules written down, we don't have a rule that says you can't bring a boat into the lineup or that you can't bring the e-foil <laughs> into the lineup. But we all, was it an E foil? No, it wasn't. Oh, I think it was just a regular foil. Yeah. Because if it, if it was an E, then he went, the boat makes it an E foil, basically. Right. Um, so it's an assisted foil. But, you know, if you're going to do something that is so far outside rude. the rude. What he did was rude. What he did was just simply rude. Very rude, very dangerous. By virtue, of the, by virtue of the fact that the foil ended up on the beach, it's not tethered to him. So he ate it and the thing probably did cartwheels to the beach through the, through the crowded lineup. So he absolutely deserved to get checked. I do not think talking to him would have been adequate enough. I don't even think calling the cops and having the cops come in and get involved is adequate enough. 
you know what's adequate in this moment? I can't justify it in any other way in any other moment, but in this moment, you're getting boulders smashed into your board, and which will keep you out of here for the rest of today. Hopefully, yeah. it'll keep you out for long enough to get the board fixed. And best case scenario, you're shamed enough and um, I don't know, even scared enough to where you just don't come back, period. I don't know why. I just, I, I think I can justify it. Yeah, I look, I, I, I totally get it. You know, part of me too is like, part of it pulls at my heartstrings of, you know, the old days when yes. there wasn't any video and like, this is how it went down. Like, sorry. And then part of me is like, what do you think society would be like if, if you got caught stealing, we cut off your hand? Do you think Not that great. there would be, do you think that there would be less thieves? Yeah. Should we that, go full Taliban? Because this was no. full Taliban, which I, which, I mean, this wasn't full Taliban. I this mean, was it, this was appropriate for the for the for the I setting. Totally Cutting off somebody's hands because they stole isn't appropriate, and especially if in that society you've starved your people, you know. And so they're just yeah, trying to get well, a loaf no, of bread, and then yeah, they lose yeah. a hand. So I think we're living. But I, I hear what you're saying. We don't need to go that extreme. I think we're living in a very comfortable uh, place that we all need to kind of not take advantage of these things. We all need to respect that we're allowed to move around uh, with a certain amount of autonomy that don't go infringing on other people's autonomy. Otherwise you are going to get checked. You know, that's, that's kind of, this is just so outlandish. He needed to get checked. It's so, this guy, so I, I mean, there's no doubt that this guy needed to get checked and I look, it's good. It's a good thing that it happened. Like I said, it makes sense that this happened. It makes tons of sense. Like it totally you does. do X and you get Y. Like the equation all pans out perfectly. I, I'm glad to see it happen. Now, the problem is I don't want to um, support or back the locals at Fort Point because from my understanding, they go overboard more often or they've gone overboard enough to... Um, to not support them basically like in the, the old school days of localism i barely came up in it right but the way it existed i knew i could surf pretty much wherever i went in the world as long as i was respectful of those locals and uh kind of applied the same rites of passage that i learned at my beaches so sit on the inside catch some waves be quiet don't make a noise don't bring a cameraman, you know, and then if a wave comes to me, if a set wave happens to come to me and I get it and then I get burned by a local, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to quietly kick out and just go sit on the side and get another. Well, and that so, all worked. What, I never so got punched out. Is, is why, why localism works so good is because you don't ever really have to do any punching. Like there's just one incident that, or one, like, Maybe it is just one incident that occur that has occurred, and it gets spread like wildfire. Yeah. It's like urban myth, and so there's this there's this like drapery of of oh no, don't you know? Like it it works because everyone's like afraid that they're going to be the guy that gets punched out and gets a fin in the face from a, a gnarly mean local guy. Yeah, but that gnarly mean local guy rarely even exists. Yeah, but because at one point something like this happened where. A guy fucked up and another guy threw boulders at his board. This is going to 
this is going to, this is legendary. It's going to, it's going to carry tons of weight at this spot for a long, long time. Yep. You know, and, and so it's going to work. And it's kind of like, if you cut one guy's hand off, is that going to carry enough mojo where people are going to be like, holy shit, I want to keep my hand. So this loaf of bread, maybe I'm not going to grab it. Totally. If you do, yes. Yeah. That's why it's good that we talk about this. Hopefully we just build the lore and spread enough lore to where it keeps people in check. Yes. Um, but I, so that's the localism of old, I think was uh, properly doled out often, you know? And so I worry that that crew there, I don't want to get behind them and support them because they're not cutting people's hands off. But if the if the retribution is so much greater than the original crime, yeah, then then a then uh, you know lawyers do get involved or the police do get involved, and then they shut everything down and it becomes completely Disneylandified. Yeah, the local justice department, like, and I mean like these guys, the locals, like if the people that are determining what sort of justice should be meted out if it gets to their head and they're not smart and they're not, they're not looking at it from the community vantage point. They're looking at it more from a selfish vantage point. Like if I do this to them, I'll get more as opposed to, yeah, we need to stop this guy over here because it's better for the serenity of the community. If we just put a quick stop to this, like, so if that, that's the problem with condoning this is that you're, you're allowing people to go, Oh, cool. We can just tell everyone to fuck off. And that's not cool either. No. But in this time, in this place, this guy had it coming. I would argue you don't even need to be on a foil. Anytime you show up and start towing in at a crowded lineup, good luck. You know, yeah. you're you're left. And I mean, I guess that goes for everybody other than like when Joel Parkinson and Mick Fanning do it at the Superbank during Pumping Swell because they do that and that's too. insanely crowded. I, I but they get away whole- with it. I know, but I think Stu Nettle or somebody, maybe you and I talked about it. Maybe it was on Coastal Watch or Swellnet or I forget where, but, or no, I, I think it was on Stab. Wasn't it on Stab where they did an article on on skis? Like skis, skis are kind of lame. They're you know? super like, lame. In a crowded lineup, they're super lame. Akira, I don't give a shit how strong the current is. Like to me, that, the only thing is the ski is like a super long leash. It's like skis ruin surfing. You know what I mean? Like completely. Now, granted, there's going to be places where you're going to want to go do step offs where there's nobody else around. Okay. I get it. You know, but for the most part, you can't roll up at a city beach and be doing step offs. That's, that's what just, I'm saying. Once you tow lame. in, once you tow in at a crowded lineup, you're wrong. And, and, and the thing that these pro surfers, I guess it's more in Australia that they get a pass that, that they just get to do it because they say so, because they're like, because they do a better off the lip than the next guy. It's kind of, I don't know, man. Well, the reason leash I gave ruin surfing, we need to get rid of the skis and the leash. The only reason I use those, out. go ahead. The only reason I use those guys as like an example that uh, was acceptable is because I don't live there and that's not my spot and they seem to get away with it and people seem to just, you know, acquiesce and allow them to do it. And maybe it's just because not only do they rule that break, that break, but they, they're so spectacular to watch. You almost want to witness it, you know, but then remember DHD dumped his ski 
No, DHT. Yeah. yeah. This was like four or five years ago. Darren, uh, Darren Hanley was driving and he whipped, I want to say Parco or maybe it was Mick in and, uh, dumped the ski, like couldn't get out of the wave in time and just went full head over heels, flipped the thing, uh, the thing at Kira on like a double overhead day. And it got washed through the lineup. He got fined for it, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting situation. What are you going to do? This is sort of a surfers of the worst moment, really, when you think about it. Like, Surfers are the best for this reason. The fact that we can do this, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like part you can't... of it that it feels like you're, you're kind of throwing boulders at Mark Zuckerberg is part of the thing. It is. It feels Especially like, in San Francisco. Facebook. <laughs> yeah. This is some Silicon Valley barn that's just like exactly. got so much money. He's, he's like, what the hell? Oh, I lost my ski. Just leave it on the rocks. Let's go. Let's go back. Yeah. To the... Bring the boat around. Yeah. <laughs> Pick Let's me up. Caviar. Yeah. <laughs> Just leave the ski. Leave the ski. They're beating it up. Just we'll get a new one. Just leave pick the me boat up too. Just like <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I love. I liked this story. Um, don't tow in anywhere that's crowded, and leave the foil as well out of the crowd. This must um, have made it to Beach Grit. What did the commentators over there do? I bet they went. I have no idea. Um, hey Scott, I don't know if you saw on Stab. There was an article a couple of weeks ago about thousands of wetsuits being stuck at sea due to the um port backup in long beach yeah did you see that i've, I've that's the main story around here in california is the um the lack of distribution man all this stuff just sitting on these these big boats out there off huntington beach it's unprecedented it's due to covid largely but we've never seen anything like this um but wetsuits was the story on stab and you know yeah. where you can still find plenty of inventory. Heck yes. Needessentials.com. They never leave us hanging, Scott. They've been here with us for years and they're still here. I went on their website uh, just before we started recording to try to get a four, three fully available, inexpensive, high quality premium rubber. I love it. You know what? Only what you need, only the essentials needessentials.com. It's the giving season. This is the season to be thinking about your friends, your neighbors, your family, your loved ones. Um, you know what? A new wetsuit would go pretty far. <laughs> Need essentials. Or, or a wet dry bag. Outerwear, anything. Booties, by the way, fins, uh, traction, leashes, leashes all the accessories. Yeah. But yeah. again, everything you need, nothing you don't. Needessentials.com. Thank you. I'm sorry to interrupt. Those are more price point type things like Get your loved one a leash, you know, even though I just. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> Didn't I early say leashes have ruined surfing? But anyway, I wear a leash. So I'll yeah. just, let's just get, keep it straight. Okay. Cool. Need essentials. All right. Whoop. 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 Hell yeah. Whoop.com promo code is the word surf. You get a free Whoop 4.0 strap and 15% off your membership when you use our promo code surf. 4.0. It, like my age, 4.0. And what is Whoop, Scott? What does it mean to you? How has it affected your life? Well, look, the Whoop 4.0 is really, for me, the best part about it is the sleep, like the ability to gauge my sleep, which I don't seem to be getting very much of. It does a lot of cool things, but for me, I, I really like you know it monitoring my sleep and where I'm at with that. And 
it's a digital fitness tracker. It is the most advanced fitness wearable on the market. The 4.0 version is John, John Florence uses it. Uh, Nathan Florence has been using it. And although it's a fitness tracker, it's really designed around the concept of recovery. And so it's important to not just monitor your exertion, but also monitor what's going on at night and how well you're sleeping and your body's processing all of that and recovering, and then apply it to your workout. Yeah. The 4.0 basically tells me, Hey, today's a recovery day, or today you can go full 110% or today, maybe just go 80%, whatever the case may be. And, uh, it's, it's a powerful tool for people like me and you that are living, you know, aggressive lifestyles. The cool thing about the 4.0 strap is that it is smaller, sleeker. It is a biometric tracker. So it sits on your wrist, but it, uh, is so small that it actually fits under your wetsuit. So you can wear it 24 hours a day. It um, measures skin temperature, blood oxygen, much, much more. All of that information gets sent to your phone. So the device itself doesn't have a screen. There's no buttons. There's no annoying notifications, but you can open up the app on your phone and it has all of your vitals. Super important information that you could then share with a physician, a coach, a personal trainer. It's just automatically collecting that data 24 seven, whether you're working or sleeping. So whoop.com is the website, W-H-O-O-P. And then use our promo code, which is the word surf, and you will get 15% off your membership and a free whoop 4.0 strap. Right on whoop 4.0. Whoop.com promo code surf. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Um, so yeah, Hawaii gets early season pulse, maybe not yeah. that early, kind of right on track, I suppose. Waimea, Pipe, Piahe, all breaking. What yeah. do you got, Scott? Well, I would just, my, my thing is, is that, you know, there's, there's some video out there of the swell a couple days that, that went at Piahe and it just looked really good. Like it, it wasn't massive. It wasn't like 35 foot Piahi. It was like, whatever, you know, I'm not going to throw numbers on it. Let's call it 18 to 20 or whatever, but I'm not going to throw numbers on it. Let's call it 18 to 20. Well, my point is I'm not the guy to throw numbers on it, but uh, you know, I'm going to say it was okay. It was, I don't know. It was big Throw numbers on it. Throw numbers. Okay. I did. 
but my point is, is that it was kind of clean and like West Bowl and, and it was, it was like a good opening day type of swell. Like it wasn't massive out of control. All the guys got to really kind of get warmed up, so to speak. And the gals, because I, I know I saw Kiala on a few waves. So anyway, it was just, I think if you're one of the crew, it was a pretty cool opening day type of vibe because like I say, wasn't massive over the top. There was insane tubes to be had and they had them. And um, yeah, it was just, it was, I like the fact that it wasn't massive on the, you know, for those guys. I, I'm just imagining that those guys were all stoked. It just looked really clean. Like there were some evening sessions where the wind laid down and I don't know. What are your thoughts well, on it? So Kai Lenny posted um, an image on a video from the cliff on Instagram of quote, the biggest set of the day cleaned up the entire lineup. I dodged the bullet by having ridden the set before and was on my way back out uh, in the channel when this happened. You can hear the video that multiple people had two wave hold downs. That's even with an inflatable vest deployed. So being held down with the inflatable vest for two waves. And he said, unfortunately, I heard that um, Steve, I don't have his last name, but I'll find it broke his femur during this ordeal. I hope that he's okay and he recovers fast. Steve actually wrote in to Kai and he said, hey Kai, I suffered a spinal fracture of my femur, a spiral, sorry, a spiral fracture of my femur and underwent surgery at Maui Memorial yesterday. I managed to make it under the first one and I was the furthest inside, but the board got caught and leash broke my leg instantly. Managed to release my pin on the leash after about 15 seconds, did not surface. And the second wave sent me down again before eventually my vest pulled me up. Luckily we had hired safety and they picked me up and got me on the boat uh, and on my way to the uh, where the fire department and the ambulance picked me up. So experts expect a full recovery. So that's a pretty harrowing situation for Steve Rice is his name. Uh, well, shoot, that sounds spooky, scary. Yeah, sorry to hear that. But broken, so broken femur, he said, due to Ooh. his having the leash. That's gnarly. so. Yeah, so like I would imagine just the full extension, the wave kind of pulling your leg that hard breaks the femur. Wow. That's, that's, that's a lot of pulling, man. To break your femur, a leash breaks your femur. Crazy. That sounds crazy. Crazy. You know what I'm watching right now? Did you see this footage of Slater at Honolulu Bay? No. From that same swell? Yeah. Oh, man. He's all over the place. I'm guessing. because Where'd posted, you find this it? Was, this was Surfing? posted yesterday, but no, Where'd it's you on find the it? Surfer Magazine forums. Oh, okay. I'm assuming it was like that swell, but... Well, um, you referenced in the opening of the show, Kalani Latanzi, who is the Brazilian body surfer out at Jaws. Yeah. Cheezo yeah. Pizo, dude. So I'm claiming that wave is 18 to 20, let's say. I don't want to put numbers on it, but <laughs> I mean, it is. You're right. That's exactly what if I said 15, I feel like I was cutting him short. Yeah. 20 feels like it's a little bit big. I'd say that's an 18 foot wave. Hard yeah. to tell because of the angle. Yeah, but you know. Dude, the guy's body surfing Jaws. It's so so he's swimming he's pulling at Jaws. It off. He's pulling it off is what's insane. He's he's making the wave. Like he's talented enough to be kicking and swimming while he's riding the wave to stay with it, to to be able to like deal with the, the foam ball and stuff. It's, it's, the guy's got talent, like next level. 
He really does. He does have some sort of a hand plane. Yeah. But uh, even still, he gets fully barreled and comes out at Jaws body surfing and he rides the foam ball for, I'd say, six seconds. Yeah. It's crazy. Is he the greatest surfer in the world? No, he's not. Huh? Mike Stewart is. Uh, um, but by the way, this isn't, this is from 2016, apparently. Oh, geez. Sorry. <laughs> Time, timely reference, Scott. <laughs> Thanks. Um, <laughs> but it was posted yesterday. So I thought, oh, maybe this is, you know. Um, go ahead. So, so Kalani Latanzi, number one, I've never, or I mean, I don't body surf waves that big, but that lineup, there's so much room to move in that lineup that the idea of just swimming in it, you can't cover very much ground when you're swimming. So that set wave that, uh, that uh, Kai Lenny posted, I mean, if you're, if you're in position for where most of the waves are breaking and you don't have a board, even if you do have a board, those guys got caught inside. So if you're just swimming, there's no way for you to make it to safety. And I don't know what you do. I mean, you, you just dive under a massive wave at Jaws. What do you do? Yeah, well, I can't speak for, for this gentleman, but I'm going to assume that he sort of, would, and from the video that I saw, I sensed that he was sort of sitting on the inside bowl and just kind of picking off the ones that came underneath everybody. And so when a massive set comes, maybe he can swim you know, 25 yards to safety because it kind of, it doesn't take much to get into the corner, into the channel. Except so. if that inside bowl still jacks, you know, yeah, 20 I, I yards out. I can't speak. I'm not an expert, but I'm just assuming I have done some body surfing at some real, you know, like spots that are surfboard waves. Um, and my little, you know, Peabody experience was that I, I hung out on the corner so that I could catch the ones that nobody catches and then also split off into the channel and not be too freaked. Well, out. the other thing is he can't wear flotation. Cause that would prohibit you. I, from I noticed that. Body yeah. Surfing. That's weird. Huh? So, so like you're, if you do get held down one or two waves, you don't have the assist of a flotation to pull you up. My final thing that I'm blown away by is uh, whenever I body surf, there's a portion of time where you put your head down to yeah. kind of project forward and get momentum that way. Yeah. But you have to hold your breath through a lot of that. And I find myself actually holding my breath through 90% of the body surf, just maybe take a gasp every once in a while, just one gasp. He had to be holding his breath forever, certainly during that entire foam ball ride, he was holding his breath, but it's just an unbelievable feat. Well, those guys are absolutely amazing water people. I mean, those guys that the regulars at Point Panic and the guys that body surf at Pipe and this gentleman, like it is next level as far as fitness. Um, Cause you mentioned breathing and like, just you have to have the a sort of calmness about you so that you are kind of breathing instead of just holding your breath and, and, you know, gripping through the whole ride. So that's why I asked you if you think he's the best surfer ever, because some of the greatest surfers in the world couldn't do what that guy did. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, now, totally. I but know it's kind of apples and oranges, but it is. Yeah. But there are guys like Mike Stewart, um, Dave Rostovich comes to mind. There are um, uh, Cunningham. A, yeah, Mark, but he doesn't stand up surf. So I'm thinking I'm trying to think of guys that stand up surf, but also uh, that ride a board like Mike. Um, Kelly. What are the who are the brothers? I'm trying to think of Malloy's Keith. Yeah. So Keith Malloy, 
he's one of those guys. So those guys can kind of do it both. And they're in that Kai Lenny thing where like, you know, they're, they're taking different disciplines and they're kind of dominating and of the really hard disciplines. Okay. We've got standing up on a surfboard. The hardest discipline might be body surfing. Yeah. I mean, body surfing jaws. That's a pretty hard discipline. There's not how many guys in that lineup that are out there with that guy could do what he did. And if you flipped it, do you think he could do what they were doing? And the answer is, yeah, I bet he could probably stand up on a, I don't know. He's a Hawaiian guy. Like that's, they're born with that. He's Brazilian. Oh, is he Brazilian? That's what you said. I apologize. So I think it's interesting. Body surfing's the easiest thing out of all those things to learn, but probably the hardest to get that good at. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I would agree with you because what are you doing really all you're doing is just planning on the surface of your chest and your arms like that's that's it you just learned like that you know like you're not like doing you know fins free cutbacks or whatever but um i think learning it and as opposed to get to to that level yeah to be that proficient is night and day you know because you talked about breathing you talked about things that i mean just the fitness alone is is next level yeah you have to be an expert swimmer beyond expert michael phelps couldn't hang out there what is beyond expert like what's next the point i i don't know (laughs) we'll have to figure that out but my point is phelps can swim in a pool he wouldn't be able to hang out there you know i bet phelps could learn and be one of the best in the world i i think once once you've got that long like you look at those guys like mark cunningham um phelps um all the swimmers have this real long lanky kind of elastic body you know and so i bet phelps could learn the fear, it. the fear would extinguish all of his prowess. It might. Um, do you want to talk about WSL, the CT shake or uh, challenging challenger series shake up at all? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's kind of the pro surfing story right now is the challenger series. It's kind of neat. I was thinking about it earlier today. It is kind of neat to think stop in September and we do get to kind of focus on the challenger series. And you mentioned this last week, I believe it kind of a good thing right it, i agree because it needs some attention it deserves attention like these guys that are striving to make the tour these top 10 guys it's actually a pretty good story like if if it had room to breathe which it does now it makes for a good story it does um and so yeah there's lots of good about this challenger series i'd say it's almost all good the way it was before, it was just too diffused and hard to track. And there's always events going on around the world. And you and I care about surfing. We couldn't even track it all. And so, yeah, this allows almost a third tier where that's all still happening around the world via the qualifying series. But then there's this, you know, middle tier that is um, really the elite people from that tour vying out, vying for enough points to make it onto the CT. So the big shakeup this past week, though, was... Um, they'd implemented a new rule this year where double qualifiers. So Kanoa Igarashi, who's on the CT currently, his spot is secure on the CT. He's also one of those top 10 on the challenger series. And so in the past, they would have allowed the 11th person from the challenger series in because uh, Kanoa, I think I said Kanoa previously, Kanoa, He's already number, you know, whatever, seven in the world. So he doesn't need his challenger series spot. 
So that gets vacated and they just bump up number 11 into number 10. Well, they were going to do away with that this year and give those spots to wild cards, which would make you think that the WSL is going to just pick the wild cards. Either maybe they're going to be a sponsor's wild card. Maybe they were going to just pick them based on, I don't know, who's the most popular surfer that will garner the most views and eyeballs. And the QS series completely uh, resisted that idea. And they even formed a petition. They started a petition. It circulated uh, around um, WSL surfers. So they've got over 100 signatures from not only the QS Warriors, but CT stars like Gabriel Medina, Felipe Toledo, Tatiana Weston Webb, all got behind it and said, this makes no sense because Morgan Siblick got onto tour because somebody else double qualified. He was not in that top 10. Somebody else double qualified. Morgan got on tour and then he made the top five. So there's justification for um, giving the 11th or the 12th or the 13th qualifying person a shot. And the WSL reported on stabmag.com, I think yesterday, they said an email went out to the athletes. They didn't release a press statement about it, but it went out to the athletes and the athletes leaked it to stab. And the WSL said they are going to rescind the rule um, and allow double qualifiers again this year. So state that again for me. So if you're a double qualifier, for instance, Cano is number one on the challenger series, right? Right. Yep. And he's a CT or already qualified. Is he already qualified for the CT? Yep. And so what does that mean for Kanoa and for his number one ranking here? Does that mean that number 11 will get a, get to move into the challenge, into the CT? Correct. Okay. So, so Kanoa is not. You get kicked out of the challenger series. Kanoa is not. out of the top 10. Yeah. Kanoa is not affected by this at all, but number 11 benefits from this rule being rescinded. That's your man, Carlos Munoz. There you go. And Kanoa even said, um, I think Stav actually interviewed him. And Kanoa said, I felt bad competing in France on the QS recently, um, this last month, because I, yeah, because I knew if I beat, let's say Carlos Munoz in this heat, he's not going to get a shot. You know, I feel like I'm taking something away from somebody, whereas I would like to be able to show up to these events and go all out and just win the thing, knowing that. Carlos practice. is going to get in either yeah. way. Yeah. And he gets his practice in. Kanoa gets his practice in. Correct. But right now, as you probably know, Caleb Robeson is number 12. There's two CT double qualifiers that, that uh, Griffin and Kanoa. And so with those gone, that gets us to number 12. Caleb Robson and number 11 is Carlos Munoz. Those would be nine and 10 effectively. Okay. And Nat so. Young is back. I'm sure let's talk about these guys. So this is going into Haliva, right? Haliva is the last event. It starts in like 10 days or something less than that. The 16th, I think of November. Okay. So next week, more or less, what's today? The ninth, the eighth. Yeah. Ninth. In eight days. It starts. And, um, Nat Young, Zeke Lau. Zeke Lau won the ultimate surfer as well. So he's got three, I think three wild cards on the CT this year anyways, but he might qualify through the challenger series. And, ways to get in. Yeah. And by the way, um, Koa Smith took to Instagram last week and he's like, look, I finished runner up on the ultimate surfer. If Zeke qualifies via the challenger series, 
those those are three wildcard spots that are just available. They should give them to me. And the WSL responded and said, no, that's not the way this works. <laughs> so they acquiesced to the petition. They did not acquiesce to COA's demands or please. What do you think about that? Do you think that's fine? I don't Coa... think he earned it. No, yeah. no. Um, you know, I think so about this challenger series, it's on a name by name basis. If you ask me what I think about it. Yeah. Like, yes, I'm glad to see Carlos Munoz. I don't need to see Zeke Lau again. No offense. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't, well, like, and I don't need to see Nat Young again either. And maybe it's the fact that it's again for me because we've seen him once or twice before. I don't think they're going to come on and blow anybody's minds. I think they're going to be a marginally better version than they were the last time, which still isn't as exciting as Felipe Toledo or even Kanoe Garashi. Now, who, who on this list of 12 or 10, let's say, is exciting? Like, I'll, I'll like, have to yeah, put it up. I'm well, stoked he's on here. I'm stoked to watch. So the one that sticks out to me is number 17, who's not even qualified yet, is Mateus Hurdy, right? We know yeah. that kid is exciting. Yeah, I'm down for that. Um, the year last year where Ethan Ewing, you know, got a second chance. That was something I was glad to see because I feel like he actually has uh, the ability and the talent to surprise us. And his first year on tour, he just simply wasn't able to pull it together. But by and large, they generally don't. You know, they generally don't have the talent or the uh, excitement factor. If you looked at this list, right, we're looking at the challenger list. There's, there's 50 people on the first page. I'd much rather just pick the 10 people that we want to watch. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, okay. I know this might upset you a little bit, but I want to watch Jake Marshall. He deserves a chance. He deserves a chance. I'm okay with, um, I'm a Kalani default. Yeah, me too. Super exciting. Um, I'm okay with Connor O'Leary. Um, I'm okay with Carlos Munoz. Thank you. Matt Banning down there too. Hell no. Mateus Hurdy. Hell, hell to the no. Mateus Hurdy for sure. Yeah, Mateus. Um, Mateus. I'm, I'm just keeping scrolling down because, oh, Hiroto O'Hara could be interesting. I was thinking that too. I would yeah. love for Hiroto. He needs to be in there. So definite no's. Alejo Those Munoz. are easier almost. Definite no's are easier than yeses. I think. For sure. Alejo Muniz, we've seen before. Tiago right, Camarao, start at the top. Seen for... Start at the top. Who's a definite no? Zeke Lau? For me, Zeke Lau, yeah. Nat Young? Leonardo Fioravanti. Um, he double qualifies. Oh, okay. Um, Tiago Camarao, Alejo Muniz, Maxine Husano, uh, yeah. Alex Ribeiro, Ramsey Bukayam, definitely no. Vasco Ribeiro. Jesse Mendez, Patrick Kadowskis, Wiggly Dantes. Um, Jack Robinson's on there. Oh, he qualified. But he's CT. he's still on the CT. Yeah. Ian Gouveia, I don't need to see again. Wesley Dantes, definitely don't. Um, I'd like to see Josh Burke. Yeah, Josh Burke would be interesting. Could be interesting. Barrick DeVries could be interesting. And a lot of Cade Madsen about, could be interesting. It's about, fre- it's about fresh faces and fresh new exactly. things. We're not saying they're better than these other guys. We're just saying, let's. Give us something fresh. Give us something exciting. 
And that kind of speaks to, look, that maybe the CT does already have too many people. We know they're cutting it down, I think, halfway through this year. They're going to cut the CT number of surfers in half. But God, you know. Um, well, Julian Wilson was interviewed by the Daily Telegraph. Did you see this? No. So Beach Grit wrote a headline that makes it sound way more sensational than it is. It says, <laughs> no <way. laughs> shocking, right? If you can ever even decipher what the headline means, <laughs> um, it says, in darkly candid moment, Australia's Julian Wilson <laughs> declares that the World Surf League's dream tour is dead, that Brazilian professional surfers will never again taste the ignon, agno, oh gosh, ignominy of defeat, ignominy of defeat. We're going to have to um, look that up. But okay, so here's the actual Julian's quote. Julian, aside from the headline, salacious headline, the quote is worth you and I discussing. He says, the Olympics were much better than I imagined. And I felt so much responsibility representing Australia. It was so much bigger than I thought. Nothing like a surfing event uh, that I had ever been to. I was completely blown away. Even without spectators, it was the biggest event that I had surfed at. The athletes' villages, the opening ceremony, the athletes were like avatars. They were such specimens and so primed and just ready for their Olympic moment. And all the Brazilians and the and the Brazilians all year have been the ones to beat with all the changes that has helped the world tour and the uh, that have helped. I'm sorry, with all the changes that have happened with the world tour and the competition schedules, the Brazilians have been too hungry. They are the most tenacious with the waves. Most people would say a lot of waves at the world tour events were mediocre this year compared to the standard quality of waves, but the Brazilians just stepped up until we go back to the full schedule of events. They will be very hard to beat. They are used to making the most of messy and inconsistent waves. That's the end of the quote. So yeah. he's giving credit to the Brazilians for being the most tenacious, but also for being uh, the best in the style of waves that the CT surfed in 2020. Does this sound accurate? Does this sound like sour grapes? Um, I think it's accurate, but I think, you know, the thing that's missing there is that he's suggesting that the Brazilians won't surf well in good ways. And that's just wrong. Um, all you have to do is look at history. Just look at what Gabe has done. Look at what Ilo has done. Um, you know, so Brazilians are winning at Chopu, Pipe, yeah. J-Bay. Yeah. Like, yeah. They just so, are. So, I think Julian's missing the point entirely or what he was saying is that he, they're just more professional, that the, the Brazilians are just more professional and that they're willing to do what it takes hundred percent stand out in three foot shit and not complain about it and be stoked and let their surfing show their stokeness as they are about eight foot chops. Whereas the rest of us are like, Oh, if it's not, Oh, it's a little bit onshore. Forget that this kind of sucks. WSL is lame. You know, it's like, the rest of 100%. them are soft compared to the working well, class Brazilians. And I would argue to Julian, what's the excuse for Californians? Like we have plenty of crappy, inconsistent waves in California. And so our surfers should be, have the same amount of tenacity that the Brazilian surfers have. There's soft. much more, there's much more culturally going into their dominance. Exactly. Than just the waves that they have locally you know yeah they're so, driven yeah. by an economic determinism that's that doesn't exist 
in these other places. Yeah. Now, how do you feel about Julian? Will we ever see him again? And how does this make you feel about his mindset or does it at all? I, I'm kind of one where I, I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't care. I don't care about yep. Julian Wilson. Stop I just don't caring. care. I stopped caring. Like, it's not like I'm going, Oh, Julian's lame or, Oh, I can't wait to see Julian. I just don't care. Yep. Me too. And, and I don't care about very many of these guys in general. Yep. Like I only care about the top 10. And you care about Jake Marshall. Folks. What? You care about Jake Marshall. I want to see, I like the idea that there's going to be young guys on tour doing something. Yep. Um, but I mean, I'll be frank, you know, Jake comes from the same place I come from, which is um, a land of plenty. And, um, you know, we're both upper middle class Southern Californians, and we simply don't even understand the economic determinism that's driven some of these Brazilians that are literally like, if they don't surf and win, they're unemployed. <laughs> like they're well, screwed. Be, well beyond that is they, I mean, uh, Adriana de Souza is paying for his parents. He's paying for all sorts of other family members. Right. So it's not only is he not employed, his mom won't have a house to live in. His mom won't eat potentially, you yeah. know? So that's a, that's a whole different thing that you're surfing for. Totally. It, you know, and, and sometimes that pressure gets to you, but um, bottom line is there's a reason that the Brazilians are dominating and I don't think it's because they're necessarily um, the bottom line is, is it's because they, they want it more. They simply yeah. want it more and they need it more. I think to Julian's point, if it was the dream tour still, and it was all held in pumping surf, there would be a little bit more diversity in the, in that kind of top tier, you know, like, John, John Kelly, maybe even Julian himself would be kind of vying it out, uh, vying for those for that top five. But without great waves, Julian doesn't stand a chance. Yeah, and he's a he's a world class surfer, and, and I we we both love the way he surfs. But when we talk about putting on a jersey and realizing that you know it's on, uh, like I said, we're soft. Yep. Agreed. I'm soft. I know that. I'm super soft. Are you kidding me? Physically and I've had uh, two Hagen Dazs dark chocolate almond ice creams today. Two in one. Yeah, two, <laughs> two, and it's not even. It's not, not even, even three o'clock. Oh and my I've had gosh. two, and I'm kind of wanting another. Frankly, this um, is how you, soft we are. And guess what? I have a box of twenty-four of them. I can. I literally grab one without getting out of my chair right now. That's how soft we are. So soft that we can afford all the Hagen dazs we want until we gained 500 pounds and never Absolutely. and never fear. I mean, it's oh, uh, sounds like we're bragging. We're not. We're recognizing. No, no. Um, you know what I did? <laughs> what I had two of today? Uh, athletic greens? No, only AG1? one. Only one of those. Um, two wardrobe changes before 10 a.m. Oh, because of the baby? Spit up on the first and then pee on the second. Yeah. Standing in the doctor's office for a two week checkup, holding the, the doc checks the baby and then straps the diaper back on. I take the baby. I'm holding the baby. All of a sudden my shirt is soaking wet. 
she did not strap that diaper on correctly. I think she did it with his weenie sticking up into the waistband. So when he peed, it just shot straight up the waistband. Exactly. And soaked me. We're sitting there still talking. And I'm like, Hey guys, we got a leaker here. My entire shirt, just this giant circle of wet on the center. It wasn't even 10 AM. Wait till you get to be my age. You'll be doing wardrobe changes because of pee and spit up and it's not the baby. Believe me. It's Hagen does. <laughs> All right. Well, I've got a must-see moment, Scott. I do too. What is yours? Mine might be yours, but um, I don't think it is. I watched Ceremony, Kai Neville's uh, 13, 14 minute clip. I think it's on Stab. And uh, I found it, I really enjoyed it. And okay. It might be because it was post Hagendaz and I was sitting there kind of in a semi coma and it was like, it had the perfect kind of chill. Like the music in it is great. And I happened to, I wanted to see what was going on with the music. Like the whole vibe of that thing is really like kind of pulsy and groovy and calming and sort of Buddhist. And, and if I'm not mistaken, the guy who did the music, the violin parts on the music was the guy who did a movie with, um, gosh, do you know who I'm talking about? The credits? I'm losing it. I didn't, I didn't watch it. Anyway. I remember, I remember there was one um, piece that kind Neville did that he used the score from There Will Be Blood, the Daniel oh, cool. Day-Lewis movie. Oh, cool. Um, now, this was, I'm pulling it up. And um, there's a guy who did. I need information. Richard Tognetti. Richard Tognetti. Didn't Richard Tognetti do a, a surf film with somebody like with. Doesn't ring a bell. Uh, doesn't, uh, maybe I'm. Well. Uh, okay, now I'm going to watch it based on your recommendation because. Yeah, ceremony. Here's the deal, dude. I Try feel again. like Kai, I feel like Kai Neville's jumped the shark a bit. Like, I appreciate Kai. I think he's a talented filmmaker. He always had an art house quality to his films. Yeah. Which I could appreciate. Yeah. But I feel like they just have become uh, over the top art house and there isn't enough substance to actually yeah. warrant the vibe that he's trying to like, they're so stylized and there's yeah. so little surfing, you know, like, yeah. like 90 seconds of surfing in that 10 minute piece or whatever. Yeah. And um, I'm not sold on it anymore. I feel like he jumped the shark, but, uh, but I will give this one a chance. Just yeah, this might be the it. same, you know, like, look, at the end of the day, there's so much for you and I and the rest of the world to take in that something is intense as this does just feel like oh yeah another kind Neville piece all right whatever you know but it doesn't discount um sort of his aesthetic and what he's what he's putting out there and the way he's putting it out there and that he cares about it and i'm i couldn't even i i'm not like the guy that goes oh yeah i've seen every kind Neville thing I've, i don't even know I, like i'm not that guy but i just happened to watch this okay and I, I thought it was cool right, and i I'll love craig anderson and yeah okay i'll watch it um my must-see moment debuts tonight on HBO. It's a documentary. I have not yet seen it, but I'm excited to watch it. It is the Jake Burton documentary. Oh, interesting. I think it's called Dear Writer. Who did it? Is it really? Well, if it's HBO, it'll be good. Yeah, I'm not sure who made it. All I know is it's a documentary about Jake Burton, so I'm interested. And yeah, I'm always HBO concerned is about these documentaries because, you know, if they're done by... You know, are they going to really tell the story? 
there's bigger things to be concerned. Remember, about, I was Scott. telling you about Joel Tudor would be the greatest. Would be a great yeah. documentary. Yeah. So I told Joel, I, I ran into Joel and I was like, first of all, I was like, dude, you got, he's like, dude, I'm not coming on your podcast. <laughs> and I'm Wait, like, did you I'm ask him? Yeah. Or he I just said, said that no, straight no, up. I sent him a text. I'm like, come on my podcast. So I, I ran Why into him. Why do you say him. no? Because he, he's like, he's, he thinks that a lot of his stuff gets taken out of context and he's like, it's not going to do me any good. I just re-signed with Vans. I don't want to upset the apple cart. I'll get to Joel's just, He's smart enough to know that he'll probably say something that'll come back to Honda. And what's he doing on Instagram? I'm just saying, <laughs> I think he learned his lot. I don't know. I'm just telling you, he's like, dude, I'm like, Joel. But anyway, my point is, yeah, yeah, yeah. my point is I go, I go, dude, your story would be insane. Like, wouldn't it be great if a doc warts and all Joel, we got to tell, I mean, we need to Malibu, Makaha. And he's like, dude, I don't need to, I don't want to rehash any of that shit. I don't need to piss any more people off. Like, and I kind of applaud him for that. Like, that's the smart play, actually, is to go, no, that's cool. Let's not, let's not do this. You know, like I got, he, you know, he, he mentioned that, you know, he's kind of changing his trip a little bit as far as the way, you know, media is going to perceive him. And I'm sure it has to do with his paycheck. You know, things are well, changing. Fair enough. Everybody's yeah. entitled to that. And uh, I can't say that I would feel any differently than he does. Totally. Um, there's a bigger picture at play and with the right people involved, he could have both things. Yeah. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's uh, 15 years from now, 20 years from now when, you know, the, the time, there's a lot of timing involved here, right? Yeah, sure. Well, Jake Burton, dear writer on HBO. Um, my kook yet again, another, another fire set ablaze. I know. In the Waikiki surfboard racks. This one was last Thursday, November 4th. So this is the third fire in uh, 20 months. I know. It's crazy, man. And the arson from the second one that we talked about two or three weeks ago was already arrested. So this is just a totally different thing. Yeah, I I don't, you know, I'm just assuming maybe it's some freaked out ice head, meth head, freaky guy that just who knows, you know, there's a lot of weird shit going on over there as far as homelessness and drugs and stuff. And, um, it couldn't seems, be a, I don't think it's a surfer. No. And it, I mean, it, like, I know I agree it with really? you. It seems, it seems to be random, um, yeah. a reflection of how things have gotten out of hand there, but this one wasn't nearly as bad as the previous one where 500 surfboards were lost. This only a few boards were lost and they seem to, uh, stop the fire before it was nearly as damaging as the previous one but still kook move yeah it's really sad it's just, it's just yeah Fo- it's just, it's just focus your ire on foilers towing in <laughs> not on, not oh, on innocent even, surfboard racks even that like i just that whole thing i just kind of go it's embarrassing that's why it's embarrassing to like meet somebody's parents or meet somebody that's not in our world and and they go, oh, you're a surfer. And I kind of think, oh, God, did he just watch the fucking foil thing get destroyed by the boulders? And, you know, it's just embarrassing. Like, aren't we evolving as a, but we're not. Surfers, surfing is just this selfish, self-driven. It's just, and I, I, look, uh, I'm as I, I much think- a part of that as anyone. I'm not, I just, and I know there's really good surfers and there's really good things for, that come from surfing especially on just an individual basis. Like the fact that you and I got in the water, had some time in nature with the universal spirit. 
dwelling around us and seeing dolphins and coming in and feeling really good about like this, the individual aspect of getting wet is incredible. But as a, as a global tribe, as it's just, it feels like we're just, I know. I did. So I disagree with you in one part there. Um, We are evolving, but there's certain things that are certain things that are timeless and what's timeless is <laughs> yes yes exactly what's timeless is respect for your common man and uh, like a decorum in the lineup and that sort of thing is absolutely timeless and so the e-foiler showing up and getting towed in is actually regression this is not progress this is somebody doing something that uh flies in the face of just the most basic fundamental rules and so the retribution against him is also timeless. You have to do that to check because we want to progress. We want to live in harmony. You stepped out of harmony and you put everybody in danger and you were just rude. It was just, it was not courteous to come in and take everybody else's. It was a cancer. So we have to eradicate it. We have to eradicate it. I want to know, remember our friend that sent this great advice to me about. Surfers are the best. Surfers are the best. I forgot. I, want I got a follow-up from Hawaii, right? Yes, yes, yes. I would like to know his opinion on this situation. Like what, how does he feel about boulders being thrown at the foil board? How does he feel about the foil border having the, the sort of, you know, just like, I don't even know what it is. The, the, the gumption to get into the lineup on a, with a boat. I want to know. Okay, go ahead. I mean, I cannot believe I almost forgot this. It was in my notes and I just skimmed right past it. But he actually called in to give us an update on surfers are the best. Okay. So the fact that you brought this up is perfect. And now I encourage you to call in again? next week. Shukin. Shukin. Yeah, I love this guy. This guy's right. like my mentor. So this call came in a few days ago. Ready? Uh, maybe I maybe Aloha, I David and Scott. Shukin here with the surfers are the best update. Last week, I paddled out on my 9-9 Timpone, a diamond head on a waist-high day while David was becoming a father. Uh, just outside the lineup, I went through the centering steps I had suggested to Scott previously. And whilst I was enjoying the morning, I noticed an older gentleman struggling to catch a wave on his shortboard. But I didn't think much of it because he had like a really nice smile on his face. A bit later, I noticed him paddle back out on a red longboard. I said, oh, you changed boards. He said, some young guy felt bad I wasn't catching waves, so he switched boards with me. Unbelievably, I thought. Uh, Paddling out after my next wave, I saw the young guy who owned the red longboard, and I asked, are you the one who loans your board to that uncle? He shyly said, yes. Thank you. That's the nicest thing I've heard in a long time. You have reassured my faith in humanity, I said as I extended a shaka and a smile. I was born and raised surfing this beach. It's what I do, he said. I introduced myself. His name is Dylan. I'm still feeling the stoke. Thank you, Dylan. Thank you, boys. Aloha. Surfers are the best. That's cool, man. You know what that made me think of too, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong here, but I have noticed that in Hawaii, the aloha is much 
deeper and richer when it flows, when it happens, like it's sincere and it's second nature. Like I sense here that like when it happens here, at least with me, it's like, oh, I, I got to think about being nice. And, you know, like I got to It's like my default is to be the worst. This is just me speaking. I'm not talking about other Californians. But I've, I've noticed so many times, especially like I'm in, over at Makaha, that the true Hawaiians are just flowing with that mana, that groovy aloha, you know, and it's because the ocean's so close to them and it's so part of who they are that it's just second nature to just go, to go yeah, you have some too. Like it's not a, a limited resource for them. There's this sense of unlimited, the pie, the pizza, there's plenty of pizza for everyone. And um, I'm, I'm sensing Dylan has, has, has a part of that mojo gone. Good thing that uncle wasn't surfing in San Francisco. Oh, he found his board smashed on the, on the rocks. Uncle Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a oh, different Lord. vibe, right? I mean, San Francisco, I mean, the, the complete antithesis of the San Francisco scene. Oh, my lordy. But good call, Shukin. And I honestly wouldn't have even thought, as a young buck growing up in Southern California, if I saw an old man struggling to catch waves, I would never have thought to allow him my surfboard to catch more waves on. I would have been like, sweet, <laughs> fewer for fewer for you, more for me. Oh, and I would have paddled right past him. So, um, but I want to be, I want to be the Dylan. I want to be like Dylan. Be like Dylan. Well, again, I'd like to hear um, Shukin's thoughts on does San Francisco. He does he condone that behavior? I mean, of course he doesn't. Nobody, I think, with the sort of, you know, a loving and tolerant code. Give us your take, Shukin. And here's yeah. the deal. I think the listener line cuts out at about yeah. two minutes. So he kept that one. I think he learned his lesson from the previous call uh, that did cut out because that call came in under two minutes, but give us your take in under two minutes. The telephone number is 760-237-0150. Honey, the, the listener line is a limited resource as well. It's only two minutes, man. Okay, well, look, um, until next time, David, adios and aloha. I can see her lying back in her satin dress. Yeah.
Feel like I'm winning when I'm losing again 